Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that's like a hybrid in a high-speed police chase. Who would have ever thought it would last this long? Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, and always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, sitting here in a very smoky, very warm recording studio built here at my home in Concord, North Carolina. And tonight's show, hey, I got this question when I was out, uh, out in Texas last week going to talk a, a little bit more in detail about the uh, about bulk tobaccos or custom blended tobaccos that you might find in your local tobacconist. And my guest tonight, I'm excited to have Chuck Stanion, editor of Pipes and Tobaccos magazine on. Going to talk about uh, some of uh, Chuck's passions and his uh, area of expertise. And then we've got a mailbag and more holiday music. No, not pipe smoking related, but holiday music. It's my new holiday tradition, so you'll have to stick around for that. Mailbag, rant. I already said mailbag, but we've got a rant tonight, and I got a good one for you. We're going to start a whole new movement with tonight's rant, so stay all the way to the end for that. All right, so as I mentioned, hey, I was in uh, Texas last week in Austin and Houston, and let me just point out... uh, Three things to you. The uh, two things. The Austin and Houston City Pipe Clubs are a bunch of great guys. Yeah, let the guys in Austin know where I was going to be on Wednesday night, and five or six of them showed up in the middle of the holiday season and everything. We hung out at uh, Heroes and Legacies, great smoke shop, and they also bounced between uh, Pipe World. So, a bunch of great guys there. And then... On Friday night, crashed the uh, Houston Pipe Club's meeting. A couple of friends there, one of them including uh, Mike Butera, but a bunch of great guys. The uh, state of Texas, hey, lots of good, lots of good smoke shops, lots of good smoke shops, lots of good time. And if you happen to be in Texas, check out Specs Liquor Stores, S P E C S Liquor Stores, a grocery store sized store for uh, liquor, fine food, and uh, other stuff. I brought back a couple of souvenirs that I'm, uh, I swore to myself I wasn't going to open up another bottle of anything until I finished off what I've got, so I'm working on that before I open up the two bottles that I brought back from Texas with me. All right, enough rambling. Let's get the show going. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. This is Internet Radio. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com quality products, and extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. 
Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Welcome back. All right, so I thought I covered this fairly well in uh, one of the early, early shows. And I thought, well, all right, since apparently the question got posed to me by at least one listener who pays fairly good attention to the show, I'd do it again. Uh, Bulk tobaccos. Now, for those of you not in the United States, when I say a bulk tobacco, it's a tobacco that that is sold by the ounce or by a pre-measured bag and sold in the tobacco shop directly to the pipe smoker. Uh, for it, it, Right now, it is primarily just the United States where bulk tobaccos are allowed. Every place else in the world, you've either got to have a super special license or tobacco has to be sold in a pre-measured, pre-taxed 50 gram, 100 gram, whatever size the container is. All right, but in... With bulk tobaccos, there's two, there's two kinds of stores. Uh, there's stores that are, let's say, there's two kinds of different blends that you're going to get when you get into the store. There's pre, uh, pre-manufactured blends that the retailer simply opens up the bag from the from the supplier, puts it into a jar, puts their own name on it, or may even leave the manufacturer's blend name on there and sells it to you by the ounce. And then there is the true custom blends. Those are blends that the smoke shop or the tobacconist that works there has worked long and hard to take components of from of other tobaccos, mix them together, and come up with a blend that is truly unique to that store. Uh, now, here's where some other stuff comes into play. The original rope tobaccos that were sold uh, by the inch to the miners that we talked about before, where the miners would cut them, cut off pieces, use uh, pieces during the day as chewing tobacco, and then cut off pieces at night and rub them out and put them into their pipe. Uh, that used to be considered a bulk tobacco, and in some cases it is still sold as a bulk. Uh, the fun part for me about bulk tobaccos is that there are still some companies that are supplying some straight goods. And this is where the discussion came in because they were, uh, I was uh, ooing and aahing over a jar of some Perique that had been around for a while. Uh, Why would you sell straight Perique? Why would a tobacco shop sell a straight Latakia? Why would a tobacco shop sell a straight Virginia or a straight Burley? Well, maybe you like a blend, but you want to add a little bit to it. So you go in, you buy a pound of whatever the blend is, but say in my case you want to put a little more Perique in it. Well, you buy an ounce or two of Perique, put it in there, let it sit for three, four days so that it gets a chance to marry, and then try the blend out. It allows you the opportunity to customize your blend or 
If you want to start out from scratch and you want to make a Virginia-based blend, you start out with the base Virginia. You can even add a little bit of Turkish. You can add all the little components you want. So it gives you a personal chance to really play with it. Now, you're going you're gonna to have to look hard and long to find a lot of stores that carry a lot of those component tobaccos. Uh, but if you go into a store and you know that they're doing custom blending in the shop, and you want to add a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, and they don't sell the straight components by themselves, hey, ask them. Ask them, do you have any, uh, do you have any Turkish in the back? Do you have an ounce or two of Turkish? Do you have an ounce or two of this or that that you want to try? And then, if you really want to do it for fun, uh, buy an ounce of the straight components, smoke them all individually, so that you can get a real understanding of what the taste is of that tobacco by itself and what it might do to another, what it might do if you add it to a blend. Uh, that's very similar to what I'm working on with those Turkish tobaccos that I taste tested them straight. Well, now I'm still working with getting them into a Virginia-based blend that won't overpower them but I can see how each one of them affects that Virginia blend, and I'm letting them age. Remember, when you are customizing a blend or doing any tweaks to your own blends, let them age for a little bit, at least a couple of days so that they get a chance to really marry. Or as Glenn said, hey, put them in a pouch, put it inside your sock, and let your body heat uh, help the aging process go along. So there you go. If you have any tips on how you uh, customize a blend yourself, please post them on the forums, post them on the uh, radio show page. I'll take a look at them. I'll mention them next week. All right, in just a minute, we're going to get really smart. We're going to have uh, Chuck Stanion on the phone, so stay with us. Signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corn cob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. 
We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us from just about two and a half hours up the road is Chuck Stanion, or as I call him, Dr. Chuck. And many of you already know Chuck is the uh, editor-in-chief of Pipes and Tobacco's magazine, but we're going to talk a whole bunch about one of, uh, well, maybe two of your other passions, but Chuck, welcome to the show. You know, it's not too late, Brian. You could still cancel this thing before your ratings plummet. Uh, no, six other people already canceled out on me, so you're stuck. All right, here I am. All right. Uh, first of all, let's talk about when did you when did you start smoking a pipe? What made you want to pick up the pipe and try it? You know, I have no idea why. Uh, I was 24 years old. Uh, one day I woke up and said, I think I'll go to the tinderbox and buy a pipe. And uh, I have no explanation for it, but I did. I went to the tinderbox and I bought a Sabinelli billiard and some aromatic tobacco, and that was that. Did you take any time off from pipe smoking, or was it was that the beginning, and you've stuck with it all the way through? No, it was a miserable experience, like everybody else. The uh, aromatics I I smoked were uh, hot, and they burned my tongue. I remember even trying to put that pipe in a freezer to make it smoke cooler. <laughs> I'm sorry. It didn't help at all. Okay. <laughs> and if I recall right, this was in upstate New York or someplace where it's really cold? No, I was living in uh, Florida at that time. I moved to Florida after school in upstate New York. Ah, got it. And It was in Clearwater, Florida. So, yeah, the the coldest thing you could find around there was your refrigerator. Yes, when I was lucky. But I had the same experience as everybody else. I smoked it and didn't enjoy it and didn't understand how anyone could enjoy it, but I persevered for about a month, and then I gave up and uh, took about a month off and went back and tried again and just smoked pretty rarely, maybe five or six pipes a week. I just felt like... There was something missing there that it needed to be enjoyable. There was something about it that appealed to me. And it took a couple of years to really figure out what I was doing. I mean, I, I did go into tobacco shops and get, get advice. Um, but it wasn't until I started smoking English blends and letting them dry out a little bit that I truly started enjoying pipe smoking. And then the light switch went on, and I know you found Virginia's and... Those kind of have become your mainstay. I was sort of forced into the Virginias. You know, I, I smoked English blends for years. And my wife developed this antipathy toward Latakia. It, it hadn't bothered her at all for a long time, but then it, it did, and to the point where she said it made her throat start to close up. So in order to smoke in the house, I switched to Virginias. And I didn't like them as much as the English blends, but... It was permissible in the house, so I smoked them, and the more I smoked the Virginias and Virginia Periques, the more I, I grew to appreciate them to the point where now I, I don't smoke English blends at all. I find the Latakia to be overpowering. And somewhere in this, uh, you became involved with Pipes and Tobacco's magazine, which I am a subscriber of. I've been a subscriber of it since 1998, and if you're not a subscriber of it, you should, and we'll give the information at the end of the show, but uh, tell the story of how you got hooked up with P&T. 
Well, I was uh, going to graduate school at the uh, University of South Florida in Tampa, and um, I decided to buy some some bread one day. I wanted to stop at a bread shop and get some artisan bread. And as I was driving home from school, I saw a sign off to the left in a little strip mall that said, uh, bread shop. Well, I pulled in, and it wasn't a bread shop. It was a bead shop. I misread it from the from the intersection. But right next to the bead shop was a tobacconist. And I just thought, well, tobacconists are cool. So I went in. And I met this guy named John Sabia, who owned the uh, tobacconist of Temple Terrace in, in North Tampa. And uh, we struck up a conversation, and I bought a couple of cigars and started asking about pipes. And he started telling me about pipes. And a couple of visits later, I bought a pipe, and it just became a stop. Uh, every day after school, I would stop and spend an hour in the shop, and John would play his guitar, and I got to meet other people coming in the shop, and it just became a, a, just a, a respite from the world. I enjoyed visiting that shop and hanging out with the people, and I started smoking pipes and um, uh, started uh, reading as much as I could about them and became very interested to the point where I really began to know more about pipes than John did. And for the uh, when the RTDA was in Cincinnati, he invited me to come with him to help choose inventory for the shop, probably to probably to make sure he purchased pipes for the shop that he knew I would buy. <laughs> but uh, we had a great time. We went to the Cincinnati trade show. And while we were there, uh, P&T had a booth, P&T and Tobacconist, and Pipes and Tobaccos had just started. They were in their first year. I think it was this, they published two issues that far. And uh, we stopped by just to say hi and let them know how much we liked the magazine. And my friend John told Dayton, you ought to have this guy write an article for you. He's a great writer. And it was a complete surprise to me, but he kept pushing because that's the kind of guy John is. <laughs> and uh, Dayton relented. He said, okay, write this. You know, what, what do you think you want to write? And I said, well, there's this guy named Randy Wiley down in Tampa, south of Tampa. Uh, I could certainly do a story on him. He's a great pipe maker. I happen to have one of his pipes right here. Take a look. Dayton looked at it and said, well, write the story. If it's decent, we'll publish it. So I went home and interviewed Randy and sent Dayton a story, and he liked it well enough to uh, ask me to send a resume. And I didn't think I wanted to do that. I was trying to be an English teacher, but things were getting squirrely at school. I didn't like the politics of the English department, and I kind of realized I didn't like teaching all that much. I mean, I enjoyed the students, but I've always been the kind of guy who'd rather do things than show people how to do things. So I wasn't sure I wanted to be a teacher anymore, and here comes this offer. And uh, But I didn't send Dayton my resume, and he ended up calling me a couple of weeks later and reminded me and asked me again. And I, I had never been pursued for a job, like everybody else, I've always had to crawl through broken glass on my belly to beg for work. So it was kind of neat to, to be offered this thing. They flew me up to uh, North Carolina, and I spent a couple of days here uh, checking out the area, liked it, liked the company, liked Dayton, liked the people who worked here. Dayton offered me the job, went home, talked it over with my wife, and we decided 
all right, let's go to North Carolina. And we did. Did you ever get the bread? Yeah, I had to go away across town, though. <laughs> okay. So now you've been you've been the editor and the you've been the voice of P and T magazine since nineteen ninety eight or ninety seven or for a long time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, I guess the hardest part is deciding what goes in the magazine. That's uh, that's a lot to ask one person to do, and I've I've thought about putting an editorial board together or, or something because it, it, sometimes it seems to me it doesn't seem right that I would be the person making those decisions. But I don't really have a solution to that. We'll just try to put a nice mix of things in the magazine, some American carvers, carvers from around the world, tobacco history, some fiction. Just, just try to make sure there's something for everyone in each issue. I always tell the story of how you screwed up my own personal pipe collection by putting an article in the magazine about it and then making the pipes so expensive I couldn't I can't afford to collect them anymore. Uh, one of the proudest episodes of my life, Brian. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to picture Dayton and you together for a couple of days because uh, after being with you for a little bit, I don't know if I would have hired you. No, it's a miracle, isn't it? I don't know how it happened myself. Yeah. So, there you I go. I am one of the most irritating people on the face of the earth. <laughs> Opinionated and not very pleasant. Yeah, and you tend to manipulate, you tend to manipulate every conversation you're in. Uh, but let's go back to your college career. Okay. So your, your undergrad was in English or something smart like that, and then you were... Did your master's in the same thing, or where'd we go from there? Well, it was a big disappointment to my father when I told him I wanted to be a creative writing major. He thought I should do something practical and that I'd never make a dime. It turns out he was right. Um, but I was a creative writing major, got a bachelor's in that, then got a master's in rhetoric and composition and a Ph.D. in English. And your Ph.D. in English is what? piqued my interest for having you on the show because your focus for your uh, for your doctoral dissertation was who? was Mark Twain. been a Mark Twain fan since I was a boy. Uh, actually, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, the first thing I did was uh, go to New Orleans and get a job on the Mississippi Queen, a riverboat, a paddlewheel riverboat, because I wanted to see the river the way Mark Twain did and spent a summer doing that. Great experience. So, what was it? What was it about Mark Twain that appealed to you besides the obvious stuff that we know of? That he's a wonderful writer and uh, and quite a character. Well, I enjoyed his humor more than anything else. Uh, I enjoyed his short sketches and just his facility with the English language. His, uh, his precision with language was amazing to me. And this is the part of the conversation where you may lose me because this is all really smart stuff and we know that I don't excel so well in that stuff. Uh, but when you talk about the, the precision of language or are you talking about how he exactly chose his words and the phrasing? That's, um, he, was, he was very aware of that. He would, as he wrote, he would spend much time trying to find exactly the right word. Um, I can't 
remember the quote exactly, but he said something like, uh, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. <laughs> uh, is it is it possible that his uh, writings also might have influenced you to uh, pick up a pipe and be interested in cigars? It's possible, but, you know, I didn't really notice the pipe smoking in his work very much until after I smoked a pipe. So subconsciously, the possibility is there, but I don't know. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more about Mark Twain, and I want to hear about your time on the riverboat, especially since we're going to be spending some time in New Orleans again this summer. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority. But nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line. And I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, Chuck Stanion, editor of Pipes and Tobacco's Magazine. Uh, Chuck, is that really your name or is that a pen name that you came up with? It's close to my real name. Okay. Well, we'll just call you Dr. Chuck. How's that work out? Um, I, I answer to that when I, when I hear it in your voice. No one else <laughs> calls me that. Well, we'll change that. Uh, Mark Twain grew up where and where and when? Because I don't think a lot of people know where he actually was born and raised. No, he was uh, born in in a little town, tiny town called Florida, Missouri, in 1835. Uh, two weeks after Halley's Comet uh, showed up in the sky. And when he was four years old, they moved to Hannibal, which became the St. Petersburg of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn uh, in his fiction. And he grew up in this, right there on, on the Mississippi River. Um, he spent about three months a year at his uncle's farm, which, uh, among other things, they grew tobacco there. So he was around tobacco his whole life. He uh, died in 1910 when Halley's Comet returned, the day after Halley's Comet came back. So that's sort of a, uh, it, 
it has a mythological feeling, but it's actually true. He, he came in with Halley's Comet, and he left with Halley's Comet. Did he come back when the comet came around again 20-something years ago? I didn't see anything in the news about it, and he certainly didn't call me. <laughs> uh, do you know when he started smoking? He was about seven years old. Uh, evidently, there was some, quite a bit of peer pressure. Uh, he, he went to school and was an object of scorn because he didn't chew tobacco. He didn't know how to chew tobacco, so he decided he would try to learn. But he never did like chewing tobacco very much. So, But he said, he said in his writing that he became very adept at uh, cutting plug tobacco perfectly for a pipe. So do you think, did he start with a pipe or did he start with cigars? He started with a pipe. Corncob pipes in Missouri, I mean, you made your own corncob pipes and tobacco is readily available. He said poverty itself could afford tobacco there in Missouri. Uh, so. And do you know when he, uh, I, I know he was also, I mean, famously pictured with cigars in his mouth, so I'm, I'm assuming that came later on in his life when he started to have a little bit of money? Yes, but he he bought cheap cigars. He bought them by the barrel. He, he was a little bit scornful of expensive cigars. He, he tells a story, and I believe it's a fictional story, but he tells a story of inviting people to his home in Hartford and changing the cigar bands and providing them with cheap cigars with the bands from expensive cigars and <laughs> laughing at how they... Uh, how they applauded the quality of these cheap cigars. And, and that may be going on for years since. Uh, uh, I, I take it you've read just about everything he's ever written or published about him. Uh, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And what's interesting is some of his best work and most interesting work was unpublished in his lifetime, and it's still being published today. Uh, from his notebooks. Is that the uh, the two-volume or three-volume set of his autobiography that he agreed to release 100 years after his death or something? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, some of that was published uh, a couple of decades ago uh, by Bernard DeVoto, but uh, it was just excerpts. The uh, University of California at Berkeley has put together uh, excellent autobiography uh, from from his full notebooks. And I, and I'm right in that he had the agreement with them that he couldn't that they couldn't publish it until 100 years post his death because he didn't want to insult people that might be in it. He did say that. Yeah, he didn't there were a number of things, especially letters from the earth. That was published in the 60s, so it wasn't 100 years after his death, but he did insist that uh that it be, that it'd be a good long time after he was dead. Did he ever write about a favorite kind of pipe tobacco? He didn't. He uh, he insulted some pipe tobaccos. He did say he didn't like Latakia. Yay! <laughs> he, he loathed it, and um, he talked about visiting Italy and some of the uh, tobaccos, pipe tobacco that he ran across in Italy. Uh, I have a quote here that's kind of interesting. He's talking about uh, some tobacco that was the most smokable that he found in Italy. Uh, in this, he's talking about a cigar called the Virginia. And he, he wrote, 
It looks like a rat tail file, but smokes better, some think. It has a straw through it. You pull this out and it leaves a flue. Otherwise, there would be no draft, not even as much as there is to a nail. Some prefer a nail at first. <laughs> so he did what I what I always like to do, which is you know, try all the tobacco products around the world, and then I end up coming back home, and I'm happy I'm here, and I get my normal stuff. He said the Italian pipe tobacco bothered him. He said it would expand way up above the pipe and fall out in his vest, uh, which he, he said was okay uh, and was good for insurance rates. <laughs> um, didn't he... If I remember right, didn't he also run into some uh, some anti-smoking issues or had problems around the house with smoking? Oh, that was an ongoing thing throughout his whole life. His, uh, you know, he he married Olivia Langdon, who was an heiress uh, from a quite a wealthy family, uh, a family that made his fortune in coal, and uh, it was a very religious family, which he was not. And he was basically this dirtbag marrying into high society. And his, uh, his fiance and then wife, Olivia, did not approve of his smoking, and his in-laws did not approve of his smoking, but he steadfastly refused to quit. It was probably the most difficult subject in, in his marriage with Olivia. Uh, she was constantly on his case to not smoke. And they, they spent summers in Elmira with the, uh, his sister-in-law, Susan Crane, and she didn't like him smoking in the house either. She actually built an octagonal study up on a hill for him to write in and smoke in so that he wouldn't smoke in the house when they were visiting every summer. And, and they visited that place every summer for decades. It's where most of his work was written at Quarry Farm. But, uh, but yes, his father-in-law, Olivia's father, actually offered him $10,000 to quit smoking and drinking. Now, I looked that up on an inflation calculator, and that would be $175,000 in today's money. But he refused it. He, he said he couldn't sell himself, and he couldn't work without smoking. He, he tried cutting back to smoking only a, a couple of cigars on Sundays to, to try to smooth things over with the family. So, and he found he couldn't write during that time. He absolutely had to smoke while he was writing. And that was probably some of those famous pictures of him sitting on the front porch or sitting out there with his uh, with a pipe or a cigar puffing away was was up there when he was trying to quit. <laughs> um, you know, there's a uh, there. I mean, there was a temperance movement back then too. There were anti-smokers all over the place. He wrote a piece called uh, "Answers to Correspondence," in which he. Uh, he writes to this moral statistician who recommends against smoking. Uh, I can read that to you real quickly. Yeah. He answers, I don't want any of your statistics. I took your whole batch and lit my pipe with it. I hate your kind of people. You're always ciphering how much a man's health is injured and how much his intellect is impaired and how many pitiful dollars and cents he wastes in the course of 92 years' indulgence in the fatal practice of smoking. And you never try to find out how much solid comfort, relaxation, and enjoyment a man derives from smoking in the course of a lifetime, which is worth ten times the money he would save by letting it alone. 
nor the appalling aggregate of happiness lost in a lifetime by your kind of people from not smoking. That pretty much sums up his opinion of the anti-smokers. I do believe I now have the subject of my new tattoo that I want. I'd like to have that entire that entire thing tattooed on my butt. And then when somebody, <laughs> when somebody comes to me, and I can show it to them. So even poor Mark Twain couldn't enjoy his uh, Piper cigar without getting hounded or hackled. And of course, this was all leading up into some of the Prohibition movement. Yeah. You know, he had trouble, too. You know, he made his living, uh, especially when he was first married, as a lecturer. Uh, he was enormously popular and very skilled as, as a lecturer. But he would travel around the country giving lectures and was often a guest in prominent households. You know, some prominent citizen of the town would have him as a guest in his home. And he wrote, there were several entries in Twain's notebooks where he was just mad as hell because his host didn't allow smoking in the house. <laughs> and here's the two of us who are two very lucky people and that we can uh, smoke where we work. I love smoking where I work. It's one of the greatest things ever. Uh, my my boss, Dave Matt, like very kindly invested in a uh, ventilation system in my office so that... Uh, there's negative pressure in here all the time, and, and the smoke is exhausted to the outside, and they've got the door sealed, and so my smoke doesn't bother anyone. There's actually no smoking allowed in the building that uh, we have our offices in, but before we moved in, Dayton was careful to have it placed in our lease that we'd be permitted to smoke. We have a couple of smoking offices here, and I'm lucky to have one of them. And does that negative pressure help keep all those big words in your head? I don't know. It, it, it helps maintain the vacuum in my head that I'm accustomed to. Oh, okay. <laughs> we've, we've got a few minutes left, and I, and I want to touch on your own personal collection of really cool tampers, which I think I've only ever seen the entire collection once when you took it to a pipe show. Uh, I had it at the core show a couple of times. Uh, yeah, I find pipe tampers fascinating, just cool little utilitarian pieces, and some of them are, are incredibly artistic. I mean, I have a lot of reproductions of pewter pieces, of antique pieces, but I have some nice ones, too. And it's fun to track them down, and, and they're fun to use. What is? I, I know this is going to be really hard for you, because it's like picking your favorite pipe out, which I'm going to ask you that in a little bit, but... What are some of your favorite tampers in your collection? Well, probably my favorite is a, a 14 karat gold Tiffany pipe tool in three pieces. It's got the spoon, the pick, and the tamper, and the tamper pivots, folds. But I like that because I have it on my great-great-grandfather's pocket watch and chain. So when you get dressed up all fancy, you can wear your... Uh... You can put your pocket watch in your vest and have your tamper on, too. Yes, I think on the two occasions I've dressed up to that extent, I have used it and enjoyed it. <laughs> and both times you look great, too. Uh, what are some of the characters that you have on your on the tampers? Well, there are a lot of them from uh, Victorian England, uh, and there are Charles Dickens characters. There, are, There's a set of... Uh, 
Sherlock Holmes characters, uh, but mainly uh, I, I like the artisan pieces. I have some ivory pieces by uh, Tom Eltang and by Julius Bez. Uh, I, I like silver pieces. There's a uh, in New York. There was a uh, a jewelry shop that, for a short time, I think in the '80s, put out three different tampers: uh, a tiger, a wolf, and something else. They're beautiful pieces. So, so your so your collection's all over the uh, all over the tamper map. It is. It's really just stuff I like. I have about, I think I have about two hundred tampers now, and uh, they're in cases that I hang on the wall in my home office, and I like just looking at them. And your wife lets you put them up on the wall? Well, it's my office. Oh, okay. I can do anything I want in there. She, well, she, you know, she didn't want them in the living room. She didn't want them in the dining room. But I like them in the, in the office. I know so many people say just use your finger, use a golf tee, use a, a dowel, and those are all perfectly usable. But I like the history of them, and I like the artistry of them. And do you They're actually do you cool use do you use some of these, or do you just use a golf tee or a, or your finger? No, I use them. I use them. I rotate them through and, and enjoy using them. It's like pipes. I don't buy a pipe I'm not going to smoke. I don't buy a tamper I don't want to use. I mean, I like having them on display, but I like pulling them out and using them, too. And after you're done with them, do you wipe them down and clean them and let them dry off before you put them back in the case? Oh, yeah. Okay, good, because otherwise you'd get a wet smoke from them. Hmm. I've heard something on that order. All right, we will wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. I know this is going to be hard for you, but no right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. So you ready? Ready. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a Jody Davis saddle billiard. That's just something about the blast and the proportions of that pipe. Uh, never fails to amaze me. Every time I pick it up, every time I load it, every time I smoke it, it's perfect. And what's your favorite tobacco? I like most Virginia Periques, but the the one I have been going to year after year after year, smoking on a daily basis, is Beacon by McClelland. And I know this is going to be tough for you because I mean you're you're a you're a big a big time drinker. But what's your favorite drink? Green tea. There we go. <laughs> um, when it's time to relax. Is it a book, a movie, or music? Music. Did Mark Twain record an album? <laughs> no, but he did enjoy playing the piano. Wouldn't that be fun to have? Uh, anyway, and the last question, do you have a, a particularly favorite pipe-smoking memory? I guess on my honeymoon we honeymooned in the mountains of north carolina one of the reasons we wanted to come back here when we had the opportunity and it was just an evening during the honeymoon sitting on the porch of a cabin we had rented and being very content and pipe smoking was part of that sounds pretty uh but what were you doing out of the cabin on your honeymoon yeah well i was i was young you know i was in in my 20s, but even so, rest is necessary. <laughs> if somebody wants to get a hold of you, besides uh, going to the website, 
and uh, subscribing for PNT Magazine, how can we get a hold of you? Well, the best way is email. Uh, Chuck at pipesandtobaccosmagazine.com. Anyone is welcome to call me, but direct line to my office is 919-327-1593. And odds are you'll be smoking when they call you. Uh, I'm rarely not smoking. <laughs> and I and I will say that uh, you this entire time I didn't hear you misspell one word. So congratulations. I'll tell our copy editors. They will be very proud of me. All right, so everybody make sure if you don't have a subscription to Pipes and Tobacco's magazine, you need to get one and check out their website. Chuck, thank you very much for your time and a uh, happy holidays to your entire family. And happy holidays to everyone listening. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes, or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. Welcome back. All right, the website is, again, that's Pipes and tobaccosmagazine.com all spelled out real easy for us to remember and I gotta tell you you know some people think it's uh, brave to have people as smart as Chuck on especially compared to me I don't think it's brave I think it's just uh, <laughs> probably a little stupid but hey as soon as we were done there I ran and grabbed, grabbed a drink and got it with me now so I can come back down to my own level and uh, speaking of my own level, uh, Christmas music. Well, last year we played some Twisted Sister Christmas, and this year we're going to play another one. So here is uh, D. Snyder and Twisted Sister with, uh, which one are we playing now? Oh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas.
up that we This made. is Twisted Sister. Oh, I see what you mean. We never play anything nice and easy. We play things nice and twisted. From uh, Bing Crosby to Mel Torme and Louis Armstrong to Dee Snyder. 
I may not have variety in my tobaccos that I like, but definitely got it in the music I like. What's this? A letter for me. Once again, another big mailbag. And from Facebook, Ben Dykes writes, Great podcast, been a cigar guy for 18 years, just retired from the Navy and picked up pipes. Uh, Ben, welcome to the pipe world and thank you for your service. And on PipesMagazine.com, Beach Maverick 82 writes, I concur with Brandon on the love of the blowfish. However, I can never seem to find one under $300. Uh, Rant is very true. LinkedIn is outdated garbage. Oh, well, great show this week as always. I know it's kind of late, but thanks for the free pipe cleaners you gave that kid, me, him at the uh, Columbus Pipe Show. It means a lot, and great to meet you as well. Happy smokes, even if it is Perique. Well, uh, let me just say that uh, a smoke is exceptionally happy if it has Perique in it. Uh, yeah, glad you like the pipe cleaners. Hey, uh, latest thing is, uh, you know, if you come by a pipe show and you see me, I'm bringing pipe cleaners to give away to people. Speaking of pipe shows, next one coming up that I know of that I will be Attending is the uh, St. Louis Pipe Show in St. Charles, Missouri on uh, February 28th. So mark your calendars if you're anywhere near the area. And our number one listener, John Seiler, writes, Hi, Brian. Your holiday gift-giving guide is quite good. Pipes are great, and I would not hesitate to have my spouse go into a shop and select one for me. Music is good with respect to drink. Uh, the spouse should go with what you like. Books and magazines are also good. One can always use nice accessories, but just remember, I never bought a pipe that cost more than $5. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, John, my wife knows that all pipes cost $20. Uh, he goes on to write, Brandon Marquette is an interesting collector. Tasting all the old classic tobaccos is a noble, but I doubt it, uh, would... Tastes the same as when it was in production. Uh, I agree with the aged Virginia tobaccos. His recommendation on aged Virginias to try is good, especially the red ribbon from McCraney's. Could you post a picture of a vampire squid? (laughs) I'm not sure if a vampire squid can be photographed. Maybe they just kind of disappear into the night. Uh, With respect to the blowfish, he writes, I've had a hard time smoking an asymmetrical pipe. By the way, what were the other three shapes he was instrumental in developing? I pretty much agree with his pipe-smoking philosophy. I've found one pipe that smokes sweet from day one and continues to do so. I agree with him on smoking-aged tobacco. However, I normally only smoke uh, bulk Virginia, where I blend fresh with aged. Brandon Marquette has a unique and refreshing perspective on pipe smoking. Louie and Mel's version of the Christmas song was great. Rant, I agree with the LinkedIn rant. Great show, and I thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Keep up the good work. Um, John brings up an interesting point uh, that he says, but I doubt it would taste the same as when it was in production. Yeah, tasting old blends and then trying to figure out what they would have tasted like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, that's uh, hard to tell. And then there's my theory, which is if those blends were so good, why did people stop smoking pipes in the 70s and 80s? But my theory is my theory, and I am the leading expert on my own theories and my own opinion. Uh, anyway, going on with the mailbag, Riff Raff writes, I love the gift guides at this time of the year. Some great suggestions. The problem is now I want to buy that stuff for myself. Sorry. Yeah, I do the same thing myself. 
Uh, he goes on to write, I really enjoyed the interview with Brandon. I can't, I can't imagine spending $20,000 on aged tobacco. Although if I look at the money I've spent on fresh tobacco, I might faint. I, too, am a huge fan of McCraney's Red Ribbon. It is my current Nirvana tobacco. I'm also enjoying a five-year-old tin of Beacon. It is great stuff. I, too, have very little cake buildup in my pipes, as Brandon mentioned. I must be doing something right. Uh, the Christmas song is one of my favorites. Hearing it sung by the man that wrote it was even better. It occurred to me when listening how much Michael Buble sounds like Mel. Interesting. Uh, I, too, am on LinkedIn. Why? I have no idea, but I'm there. Another great show, gentlemen. Hey, those of you that are ordering McCraney's Red Ribbon, how about you guys convincing uh, one of the McCraney's to come on the radio show with me? It'd be fun to hear them talk about coming up with those blends. Uh, Neil K. writes, Enjoyed the show as always. Great interview. My main reason for jumping on here is that I was looking through Christmas CDs. I came across a compilation with a picture of a guy named Bill Vaughn smoking a pipe on it. After browsing around the net, it looks like his orchestra did some of the music for a few of the Bing Crosby movies. Anyway, thought I'd pass it along as possible music for an upcoming show, and then he gives the link to it. I will definitely uh, put it on the list for uh, maybe next week or the week after. Uh, S.S. Jones, better known as Al, writes, I can appreciate Brandon's collecting perspective. I also enjoyed the jerk reference at the end. I almost missed that one. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that don't stick around all the way past the end of Happy Trails, there's always some little fun stuff there for you uh, that you're missing. Those of you that do stick around, you're not missing it. You get it. Then he says, uh, by the way, I've been listening on Podkicker directly from my directly from my Android phone. It works great, and I can stay up to date with current shows easier than downloading via iTunes. So Al confirms that um, iTunes may not be the most friendly thing in the world. Uh, Casey Ghost writes: The gift giving guide was useful, but I usually just tell whoever it is exactly what I want and where to get it. <laughs> I gave my wife some links to Amazon and some Disney books that I want to add to my collection. <laughs> that was, uh, she didn't respond positively to more Disney books for my collection. But anyway, uh, Dan goes on to write, nice interview with a guy who seems to have something uh, of a unique perspective on the hobby. Sounds like he is sitting on a mountain of tobacco. I think we know a guy who has more. Interesting that he goes to Chicago for the tobacco, not the pipes. I always thought Steve Martin's best movie was Roxanne. Couldn't stand the jerk. Uh, the value of LinkedIn is that people who own it are making lots of money. <laughs> There's probably the best answer. Uh, Mr. Motoyoshi in Japan writes, uh, Pipe gifts sound great. He had some wonderful su suggestions. Alas, lady of the house, my fiancé won't be getting me any tobacco items. Should I get rid of her? Ha! Uh, that's purely up to you. Uh, however, if she makes you get rid of the pipes and tobaccos, I'd get rid of her first. And then he says, I've seen Brandon around a lot, smoking beautiful pipes and popping rare tins, but it was nice to finally get to know him a little bit better. I can understand that tobaccos get better with age, but I wouldn't go as far to say that smoking fresh tobacco is inferior. Tobacco can be like cheap wine, can be enjoyed young and on the budget. And I am drinking a cheap wine right now from uh, Trader Joe's. 
then he says, don't get me started on LinkedIn. I get requests from all these bozos I've never even met before. Seems like a Facebook for people who want to appear that they're full of business connections. No, thank you. Uh, I'm going to the Tokyo Pipe Show this weekend, Brian. I'll keep my eyes open for Disney pipes for you or me. And then he put a little winky smiley face in there. Great job with the show again. Is it Tuesday yet? It is Tuesday, and I'd love to hear what the the Tokyo Pipe Show is like. So uh, post a report or point me towards it. Uh, Last but not least, Voorhees writes, Great song choice. Mel sounds smooth as butter. Yeah, and uh, D. Snyder will never be accused of being butter or margarine or any other uh, sandwich spread. <laughs> Unless you consider peanuts with, uh, or uh, peanut butter with uh, chunky peanuts in it as uh, D. Snyder spread. So, All right, there's the mailbag. Keep those comments and uh, questions coming. Post them on the forums or email them to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a minute... Rant time. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. Cowboy. Cowboy. Pima County, Arizona. Pima County, Arizona, where the main city there is Tucson. You guys may be the first ones to see my brand new tattoo of my prickly paired butt. They are in the process of proposing to uh, refuse to hire smokers. Here's what it reads. December 5th, 2014, the Pima County Board of Supervisors will vote this month on whether to refuse to hire smokers and put a major pinch on the pocketbooks of those who already work there. The two-part policy would take effect in July 2015. It prevents the county from hiring smokers and slaps a 30% health insurance surcharge on employees who do smoke or use other tobacco products. 
County Administrator Chuck Huckleberry, <laughs> Huckleberry, yeah, I'll be his Huckleberry, uh, said the Board of Supervisors is scheduled to vote on the ban during their December 16th meeting. Uh, what this would basically mean is Pima County estimates 32% of their 2,304 current employees are tobacco users, and they cost the county about $13.4 million each year, according to a memo from the health department. Uh, prospective county employees would have to provide proof that they have been tobacco and nicotine-free for a year in the form of a doctor's note or drug test. Uh, for current employees, there's a carrot and a stick. Non-smokers who sign an affidavit that they are nicotine-free are eligible for a $5 health care discount each bi-weekly pay period. Tobacco users will pay 30% more on top of their existing health care costs going up in July of 2017 to 50% more. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to start gathering a list of cities, counties, states, places where they tax smokers heavily or you won't hire a smoker, a private business. It's your right to not hire smokers if you don't want to. It's our right to put together a list of places that are unfair to smokers and we shouldn't go. So that's right. If you're planning on going to Arizona for vacation, avoid Pima County. Go someplace else. Let them see that we don't want to go to places where people are unfair to us. If you know of a company or a city or a county or place like that that does that will not hire smokers or charges the smokers a higher rate, please let me know. Post it on the forums. We'll start putting this list together, and uh, hey, maybe we can get a few of them to you know a few of them to think differently. I'll start the first one with the Ortho Scotts Lawn Care Company. They refuse to hire smokers because of supposed higher insurance costs. So I refuse to use miracle Grow or Scott's or Ortho Lawn Care products. All right, there's the show for this week. Hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you again to Chuck Stanion for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the fine folks at the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time... Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy the season to be merry. Well, that's my name. Oh, shit. <laughs>